You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with the fall guy. Let's do it later. Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th, hosted by Kevin Hart. The seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. Welcome to the PJ's Cast. I am your host, Pierce, joined this day by Vinny and Spencer. What's going on, boys? Not much, not much at all. Nothing much. That's great, nothing much. Well, um, there's a little bit, there's quite a bit to talk in this podcast, and we're getting closer and closer to hockey, which is exciting. There's uh, the exhibition games, I think, on Tuesday, the Blackhawks play on Wednesday, and then there's some more on Thursday, and then the actual playoffs kick off on August 1st, well, the qualifying round, but that's pretty much the playoffs. They said that the, the playoff stats would count, so, yeah. Um, so... A lot has happened in the NHL. We have stuff to talk about, such as uh, the Blackhawks and their what's going on because their last practice in Chicago is tomorrow before they head to Edmonton. And, of course, we cannot uh, leave out the fact the Seattle Kraken officially announced their name. And I just love their jerseys and their new logo. It's nice to see something uh, different and unique, especially this color scheme. And I just want to know what you guys think about that. Yeah, I thought I thought it was pretty unique. Um, I thought like with their logo and everything, I thought like the simpler the better. I don't think they need to go too um, all out with the logo or anything. The jerseys were really clean, and I thought uh, one touch that they kind of put on there, which was kind of nice, uh, was like the red, like the eye and uh, the red, a little bit red on the jersey too, because I think it kind of gave it um, gave them a little bit more of like an intimidating and more aggressive kind of feel I guess so to speak because like it kind of bodes well at the NHL's in hockey style of play with this which is kind of like aggressive physical in your face type of stuff but I think it, it's unique too because it's like a direct reference apparently like the shape of the logo is like a direct reference to Space Seattle Lambert. Metropolitans which is unique to their history because they were the first uh, non-Canadian NHL team uh, to win the Stanley Cup Back all the way back in 1917, over 100 years ago, which is which, like, where are the odds of that Seattle winning like the first Stanley Cup in the U.S.? But that's crazy. I didn't pretty, even know that. Yeah, it's pretty, it's pretty unique, but um, yeah, it's pretty exciting. So I'm excited to see them uh, in the NHL come uh, 2021-22. So got that expansion draft next year. Yeah, that's gonna be an interesting uh, topic going forward with the. Uh... Blackhawks are going to give up or uh, who's going to be available for the Blackhawks and who they protect and all that. But uh, Vinny, I just want to hear your thoughts on that. Um, it's, I, I, I like the look a lot, actually. Um, I, know, I mean, I think with the logo, uh, it's a good look. It's simple. Uh, when you keep it simple, you don't have to worry about, you know, because if they made the logo, if they tried and if they tried to uh, make the logo more complex, you run the risk of 
making it look possibly cartoony. Um, and with their secondary logo, I don't know if and I don't know if you mentioned it, Spencer, but uh, the space needle is in the uh, yeah, that's true. Is in the the it's really cool. Clip. Yeah, it's in like that T-looking shape. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a it's a unique color scheme and it's a really good look, I think. Where would you guys rank it in like in terms of like best jerseys and logos in the NHL? I honestly think it's like in Ooh. my top five. Yeah, it's tough to say. I mean, the color scheme and everything is so unique. I think it's so I said this. I replied to you on uh, on Twitter. I said like around ten. It, like it's definitely in the upper third. That's what I. Think. Okay, so if we did tiers like elite and just like not like average, like where would you rank it? Like would you rank it at elite? Because I certainly would. Just under elite. I uh, think. Just I think under. I think I have to kind of like see how it looks on the ice first because we don't really know how like it looks on the ice yet. But I feel like it's gonna like really like just as good on the ice. I feel like yeah, it's just gonna I be feel that too. <laughs> I just. I just think that if you look at all the teams that I'd probably put ahead of them with how nice some of their logos are, not the not the Seattle's isn't nice, just that like you got logos like the Blackhawks in there and um I don't know, what's another good one? Um all the original six teams are up. Yeah, like like man. Boston, like those logos. I like I mean, Toronto's new logo too. It's tough to like put them ahead logo. of the, it's tough to put them ahead of those guys because they just have Gorgeous looking logos. They're classics. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But they're like right up there for me. I love them. I just love not only like the design, but like the name too, the Kraken. It's just that it's so unique. They could have gotten like safe and like done like sockeyes, I heard they were going to do, but just hearing them go Kraken, something for like a mythical creature. I don't know. It's just, it's different. It's a nice uh, breath of fresh air that an uh, NHL team does something different. And I just feel like there's gonna be some like hockey, like old hockey men pissed off about it. I don't know why. It just it seems um, like that kind of name. I love how they're just having fun with it. Honestly, you mentioned sockeyes, and I hear a lot of people say like, "Oh, why didn't they go sockeyes?" Well, apparently it's trademarked already. Like like from other teams that have the uh, have the name, like not necessarily NHL teams, but uh, teams in like lower levels. If a lot of teams have it. I heard like it's trademarked. Oh, that's interesting. So yeah, overall, I I love the Seattle Kraken. Love the jerseys. Love the design. Love the name. Just love everything. And it's gonna be so exciting to see Seattle and see if they can follow up what uh, Vegas did in their first year. And I hang on. I don't. I think I have the tweet with me, but I I saw. But they've already beaten like Vegas for in terms of like sales for jerseys already or whatever. And it's only been like a day or so that the jerseys have been out. So. Shows that like people are excited for Seattle, and I've already think the NHL has done a great job of putting <laughs> like putting uh, NHL team in Vegas, and I think an NHL team in Seattle is going to be great too. So, um, on to the Blackhawks side of things. Um, so, like we mentioned earlier, um, the playoffs are uh, tomorrow are going to be exactly a week for away, and the Blackhawks are going to be playing in Edmonton. Um, some news, uh, Jonathan Taves, there was a couple of times where he didn't practice, but, uh, good thing was that he's, he's good. He's fit to play. There's nothing wrong with him. And apparently Connor Murphy, he had a bit of a groin issue or whatever. And, but, uh, he was skating with the second group. I'm pretty sure. So he's good as well, but obviously the big one, um, Corey Crawford, we haven't seen him at all, but, um, 
he is coming to Edmonton with the 31-man uh, roster, Mark Spector reports, so it's good news. Um, the big question is, do you guys think that that's going to be enough time for Crawford to kind of get back into things, or what do you think about that? I, I do, personally. Um, if you look at Corey Crawford and throughout his whole career, he's faced adversity, and you know, you talk about months off at a time with a concussion and he comes back and it's just like, it's just like he's ready to go. And you saw Taves say uh, through the media that, you know, if there's one guy that we have that can just come right in and make an impact, it's Crawford. Yeah, that's true. I kind of think back like to the 2015 playoffs, like remember when Scott Darling came in? Uh, in the midst of that Nashville series. And then Crawford came back and he was just as good as he was, uh, or not at the start of the Nashville series because he wasn't as good, but he uh, performed as if he was a top, like, goaltender and, like, their number one all over again. But I think it's it's huge because, like, this is a guy, it, it's, they just need him. Like, they just straight yeah. up need him. Yeah. Um, it, you can't win, I don't think, at all. I, I think the odds of them winning without Corey Crawford is just, like, no chance. I think Very he's low. just – Yeah, it, especially with, like um, – we still brought in, like, some good defensemen this year, some decent defensemen like Ole Mata and Calvin DeHaan. And, well, even though um, Calvin DeHaan went through some injury issues and Mata didn't exactly perform uh, to, sta- to his standards, uh, I think um, – Crawford is just a guy they they needed, and especially like with um with Robin Leonard, like for example, like how key he was throughout the season for us, and yeah. and uh, all all those different moments and stuff. But yeah, Corey Crawford, is, it's it's huge news that he's gonna be coming with. So yeah, if they start one of Delia or Lankinen or whoever, I just feel they don't have or East Subban, like, if they start one of those guys, I just feel that they don't have any chance in that series. And Crawford, he's just such a big playoff performer. He has a 2.29 goals against average and a 919 save percentage lifetime in the playoffs. And honestly, I think he should have won the Conn Smythe in 2013 over Patrick Kane. Well, that's just me. But it's just he's so he's so such a big part of that team that if he's not playing, um, then I think they have no chance. So it's going to be interesting to see. Like, they're going to have practices in Edmonton. It's just you wonder if that's going to be enough time. Can Corey Crawford, like, flip the switch and be fine when they start playing? So that's going to be interesting to see. Um, So I just – so we kind of have a good idea of what the lines are. Um, So I just want to go through them and kind of get your guys' thoughts on the lines. So the first line, we've seen a lot of uh, sod uh, taste into Brinkett. So I'm just wondering what you guys think about those lines so far and how they looked. Well, I think uh, it's with with the first line of Taves, uh, Debrinket, and Sod, and then uh, obviously the next line is what it's Kane, Kane, Nylander, Strom, Doc Kajula, and um, Kubalik. Kubalik, and and that's right there is just it's three lines that can score, and I think that's going to be huge against the Oilers because you're going to have especially that third line, because you're going to have Taves matching up against the McDavid line and then uh, Strom and Kane's line against the Dreisaitl line. So I think the key is going to be that third line with Kirby Dock, and they've looked good through the training camp scrimmages. And um, and then the fourth line, obviously, Highmore, Camp, and Carpenter, I believe. 
they can just go out there and create or wreak havoc and just be uh, energy guys. So I'm excited to see what happens. Yeah, I think I I don't really know too much like what to expect from the first side, like the Brinkett side and Taves yet, because uh, I haven't really. Well, the Brinkett, the I think he's gotten kind of like stronger throughout camp. That's what I've kind of noticed. He looks kind of like stronger in the puck and his skates. Uh, but kind of like to Vinny's point, how they have three lines that he can score now. Uh, especially with like a more confident Kirby Doc, um, a bunch of like it's like a basically a rejuvenated offense now, which is really going to be key against the Oilers, especially when you got uh, two guys like McDavid and Drysaddle, two top, two of the top performers in the league. So it's it's uh, yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how that all works out, especially with um, Nylander, Strom, Kane's kind of in that interesting line. That line I never really expected to. Uh, performed to what they are doing right now. I mean, Nylander and Kane have worked so well together throughout camp. They made some really good passes uh, uh, to each other. And Nylander, he's like, he's he's more confident in his own game now. I think that's kind of what he needed in Chicago. Uh, I think Vinny, you kind of met, you kind of mentioned this on the last podcast too, how he's kind of buried in Buffalo, yeah. and that didn't really help his confidence at all. And now he comes to Chicago, he gets a brand new role on a brand new team. And he's kind of starting to find uh, his offensive game, his offensive skill set again, which I think his is really going to be key. Yep. And with Strom, he's kind of been more of that goal scorer on the line. He's, he's been in the right over. areas throughout camp. Um, he's been good as well. But Nylander and Kane have worked too well together. I'm excited to see how that line uh, works together. So. Yeah, definitely. They've been playing at a very high pace, a lot of creative plays. And I know it's a very like high standard, but – it very much reminds me of the Aaron and Nisimov Kane line from a few years ago that was just so dominant. Not that it's as good as that line, but just the fact that Nylander and Kane, they have that great chemistry, and then you kind of have Strom as the center that drives the net and kind of just knows his role. And if you can get that get that in the Edmonton series, I think that could be really huge with all that chemistry. And, yeah... Um, one thing I'd like to see, I really like to see Kubalik up on that uh, first line, just because they're all kind of possessed and driving monsters, and I think they could do a good job of shutting down McDavid. And then I think if you can put DeBrinket on the third line with uh, like a Kirby Doc, someone who can get him the puck, I would like to see that too. But uh, um, you def- there's definitely a lot of promise with the lines. The standouts that I've noticed are definitely Alex Nylander. He's looked a lot more confident. And same with Kirby Doc. He's just making so many nice moves and not only that but he's just skating very well like he's just he just looks so good out there and and Jimmy has made this point like he's not with us tonight but Jimmy uh he made this he's been making this point over it's saying like Kirby Doc and Adam Boakfist are essentially going into their second season pretty much just because of such a long break and it's almost like in a way we're seeing their, the start of their second years for Kirby Doc and Adam Boakfist. So it's going to be interesting to see if they can take a, both of them can take a step in the series against the Oilers. So um, kind of back to the Alex Nylander topic, what do you guys um, think about the Alex Nylander, Henry Yoki Haru trade? Do you still think that's a bad trade or do you think it's kind of more favorable now looking back on it? I, I actually don't mind it, you know, like, um, now it's just like, I mean, I don't really, I know Yokoharu has 
not been his greatest in Buffalo. Um, so that's a tough situation. But I think just with Nylander, it's a player like that and the way he plays, you know, he was a, he was a high draft pick for a reason. And he has all the skill in the world to become a good player in the league. Um, and I just think for him right now, it's getting his confidence back. And we're seeing him do that in camp. And you just see how good his hands are and his vision and just his overall playmaking ability. But I like the trade now. Yeah, I don't think it it's as bad now, like to what we thought it was then. Because, I mean, Yoki Haru, like, he's basically in the same spot that like uh, Nylander was in Buffalo. Like he can't really find like a true role with them yet because they have so many defensemen in that blue line to where he just he's kind of like up and down all the time. But with Nylander, like. He, I have noticed throughout camp how he's, like, been doing all, like, he's been doing a bunch of, like, little things while on the ice, like, really well. Like, with Patrick Kane, he's supporting him um, all through the neutral zone, all through the offensive zone. But when he's, like, on entries, for example, like, when Nylander has the puck, he's, like, attacking. um, He's he's attacking the defense, and then he's dropping the puck back to Kane, but he's creating that space for Kane, which, obviously, when you, you let Kane have, any sort of space whatsoever. It's just as uh, just as dangerous. But not gonna have like, a good time. <laughs> but yeah, I don't think I don't think the trade is uh, as bad now. It's just a matter of whether or not Nylander can actually use uh, his his offensive tools and his confidence to his advantage. But I think now that he has a brand new team, a uh, team that believes him believes in him more uh, now, I think that's going to be really key. So. Yeah, um, how we mentioned with Henry Duck and Adam Wolfis, like this is their second season. This is pretty much a new season for Alex Nylander too. He's never been given this chance. And there are so many times this year where you see flashes of brilliance and then there's just so many games and even shifts, like a shift-to-shift basis where he just disappears. And you're wondering why doesn't he bring it every every shift? And you wondered if he takes the step this year and becomes more consistent. And there were a lot of times where he was moved up and down the lineup. He never really had a consistent role. So I wonder if him playing with Kane and Strom and just developing that chemistry could be a good thing and help him take the next step to be a dynamic uh, forward like we all thought we could be when he was that overall pick. So it's that's going to be something very interesting to watch against the Oilers as well. Like the like, like the young players like Kirby, Kirby Doc, Adam Boakfist, and Alex Neal, those are going to be interesting because I think we know guys like Saad, Taze, and Kane, and even Duncan Keith, even though they're maybe not at the same level as they used to be in 2015, you know they're going to be uh, playing hard and competitive, but it's really that supporting cast that really hasn't done much, or, or not hasn't done much, that was the wrong wording, but like they haven't been to this point in their careers where they're playing in the playoffs and playing in meaningful games, so I'm really excited to watch that, and it's going to be interesting how they handle McDavid and Dreisaitl. So, uh, yeah, um, we have two more Eastern Conference series, uh, play-in series to preview, and I believe uh, one of them is the Florida and New York series, and honestly, I cannot remember the other one. So you guys just want to go uh, talk about the uh, the Islanders-Panthers uh, one rematch of 2016? Um, I don't know, Spencer, you want to go first? <laughs> sure. I, don't, I don't really know. I don't really know what I'm gonna say about this. One. <laughs> I think I think with the Islanders, like right away, I can like in my mind I could just envision how much depth they have, like up and down their lineup. 
Especially like with the addition of JG Pajo at the deadline, a guy who can be an effective middle six option. And like as a true second line center, he can be he can be a really key offensive player for them. But like if he's in more of that third line role, he could uh he could play more of a defensive role, play an effective defensive role, but also kind of be a little bit of an energy guy. So it creates more options for the Islanders with that addition of Pajo, but I think up and down their lineup, I think the speed and skill and their depth is definitely what's going to test the Panthers. The Panthers have, like, more of a defensive mind. Now that they have Joel Quinville, who we're really familiar with, um, he has more of a system where it's more defensive-minded, not uh, too offensive-based. Yeah, (laughs) but I think – yeah, I think – Especially at the Panthers, like, at the deadline, they took kind of a hit with Vincent Trocek when they lost Vincent Trocek. They traded away, traded him, traded him away uh, to Carolina. Uh, I think Trocek, uh, he could definitely, um, like, he he's dealt with injury issues the past few years, but I think that he could definitely, like, um, he could definitely up his game again in Carolina uh, to the level he was playing at before. Uh, but... I think with the Panthers, it's going to be tough for them to match up against the depth and speed and skill that the Islanders have. Um, I, I, I honestly, I feel like this could go to the Islanders in four. That's my prediction. So, I agree with you, Spencer. Um, last podcast, we mentioned uh, the importance of a good coach. And the Islanders have a very good coach. And he employs a very good system. Um, I think it's just going to be too much to handle for Florida. Uh, just the way the Islanders play. Um, just a really good two-way game that they play. And I think uh, I think the Islanders will win in four games. Yeah, I'm also going to make it Islanders in four. I just, I don't know. The Islanders, they play such a structured defensive game. And... The big thing for me in the all these qualifying series is goaltending. Uh, Bobrovsky was horrible in his first year with Florida, um, and just Tom, whoever the Islanders start, whether that's Thomas Grice or I can't remember who the other one is, but or Varlamov, yeah, Varlamov. I forgot Varlamov, but yeah, Varlamov or Grice, whoever's going to be in there, they're going to get great goaltending just because of the offensive uh, system they play, but. Florida, I don't think they're as structured as the New York Islanders do, and I just don't know if they're going to get that goaltending to potentially cover up. So I definitely have to go the Islanders. And uh, for obviously Florida, they got that that deadly first line with uh, Huberto, Barkov, and I think Dodonov plays with them. But uh, I just don't know if they have the scoring depth does the Panthers, especially like you mentioned, Spencer, after they traded Vinny Trocek, which I still don't know why they did that. So, yeah, I'm going to have to agree with you, and we're going to make it a perfect uh, Islanders and four for all of us. So the last series is uh, very lopsided here. I, I forgot it was a series, but uh, um, the Penguins and Canadians, and honestly, I think the – I haven't given anyone a sweep yet, but I'm going to give the Me Penguins neither. a sweep here because just Montreal – not, not, it's not even that Pittsburgh is just the better team, but Montreal, there was talk of them just like being kind of disengaged from the whole process of uh, um, like playing in the qualifying series. So 
my I wonder if their hearts are even going to be in it. Like, do like is do they want to win a, a playoff series just to get smacked again, like barely edge it out, or do they want a shot at Lafreniere? Um, so I got to go Penguins in three, and you also just take into consideration the Penguins. You know they're gonna they're start for another Stanley Cup. Obviously they got those back to back Stanley Cups, but then you lose to Washington in the second round. You get swept out by the Islanders last year. You know they're hungry, especially being in that qualifying round. And I think they got a pretty easy match against the Montreal Canadiens, and I think they just walk right over them. Not to mention Jake Gensel is back, and Jake Gensel playoff playoff Jake Gensel is just another animal. So yeah, I'm going Pittsburgh clean sweep my only sweep for the qualifying rounds you know pierce <laughs> you're right um it's it's no surprise here <laughs> it's no shock here that pittsburgh holds the upper edge i mean you mentioned gensel coming back that's just huge for pittsburgh they showed throughout the year that they don't even need the guy and now you put him back in the lineup and it's just like it's just going to be too much to handle for montreal and they won without i think crosby yeah and they missed. Up. They were missing Malkin too, weren't they? For, yeah, for I think for a bit. Yeah, yeah um, for a good amount of time. Everyone. Yeah, but uh, <laughs> but yeah, just Montreal. I mean, Price is he's not the goalie he once was, and he can't carry a flawed Montreal team anymore. I mean, that's just the way it is. So yeah, I think Pittsburgh's got this uh, pretty easily in three games. You know what'd be good if the only good thing that would happen if Pittsburgh won again, Patrick Marlowe would get a Stanley Cup. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I never weird. thought about that. Yeah. I forgot he was on the team. There's just so many teams where it's like, oh, yeah, they traded for this guy because that was almost like – that was like five or six months ago or whatever it was. Five, four I almost forgot ago. he was on Pittsburgh. Yeah. Until I you told me. <laughs> <laughs> I wish Joe, uh, Joe Thornton got a, uh, got traded somewhere. Yeah. That and that's nice. another question. That's like a whole other topic. Is he ever going to play yeah. another game again? Because San Jose, they're one of those seven teams that's probably not going to play till December or whenever they're starting the season up. Do you think at that point where he's just like, oh, I'm done? Like, you know, it's going to be interesting. But, uh, yeah, Spencer, you can uh, go now. I think, like, the thing right away I see with Montreal is they don't have, like, that true, like, game-breaking forward in their lineup. I don't think there's any, like – like, compared to Pittsburgh, they, they have two of them. <laughs> <laughs> Obviously, Sidney uh, Crosby and Genie Malkin. But with Montreal, it's interesting because uh, obviously they have literally Blackhawks legend and could have a guy who could have literally been a Selkie finalist. This he should have been. No. He totally should have been. He totally should have been. But like, I feel like he's like their only like true game breaking forward they have, and that's. But I mean. With the Canadians, like they don't, they don't really match up like at all. Like honestly, yeah. <laughs> I mean, um, there's a lot of questions I have with them. Like first off, I mean, regarding Max Domi, with the yeah. whole COVID situation, and since he's a type one diabetic, obviously he opted in to play. Yeah. But there could be a lot of big complications with that if he does get COVID, um, and. I also, like with Jonathan Druin, he's another interesting guy because at the start of the year, he, he had a really strong showing. He gets injured and then uh, comes back and then he ends up losing that consistency that he had at the start of the year. But I'm kind of curious to see if he might be able to regain his form that uh, he had at the start of the year, potentially be that uh, 
maybe even that game breaking forward for Montreal. I don't know. Um, but with Pittsburgh, I mean, it's just they're just too like stacked now. <laughs> I mean, they get Jake Gensel back, who's been too good with Sidney Crosby. They have Brian Russ, who's actually been playing pretty well for, for them this yeah, year. Yeah, point per game. <laughs> yeah, and Evgeny Malkin's had a tremendous season. Uh, Jason Zucker, a new addition, a newer addition <laughs> from Minnesota. <laughs> like the list goes on and on. And I just feel like it's just too much. I don't know if I want to go with Pittsburgh for a sweep here. I feel like I'm kind of leaning towards that. I, I'm going to go Pittsburgh in four. Oh. I don't know if that's being a little bit generous, okay. but it probably is. <laughs> yeah, probably. Have you seen that tweet? I forget who it's from, where it's like Malkin will come up the wing with Mark Donk and Buzz Flibbert or whatever, and they'll have like 50 <laughs> points each. Like, that's just so. Well, I mean, Pittsburgh. dude, they, they just. They, one guy comes out of the lineup, it's next man up. I mean, they'll bring up this guy named probably Joe Murphy or something, and he'll go point, <laughs> he'll go point per game. I mean, it, it's true. And you can't forget that they have a lead forward contract. Joe NHL. <laughs> yeah, Joe, Joe NHL. <laughs> But right. I think the key now is like Pittsburgh's like really healthy now. That's yeah. just I feel like they could actually make a strong run for the cup. That's my oh, prediction. I, they're yeah. one of my favorites because you can never count Pittsburgh out. Yeah. You got Patrick Hornquist back now. Yeah. You got a healthy blue line. It's Yeah. It's too game good. over. Game over. Even if Murray sucks, they can put Tristan Jari in and they're fine. Like they're so good. Yeah, dude. Like he was like a he was one of the best rookie goalies in the league this year, wasn't he? Yeah. yeah, he was one of the best goalies in here. general. He's yeah, an all star, too. Yeah. yeah, in general. Ridiculous. Yeah. Ridiculous. All right. Do you guys want to get on to some uh, NHL awards uh, nominees? Like, wh- who would you pick and all that stuff now that we got the playoff series done? So, yeah, why not? First one is the Selkie Trophy. I don't think we've talked about any of the awards. I can't remember, but we'll just do it anyways. We did. We, I, don't think we, I don't think we predicted who was going to win, though. Oh, okay. So the first one is the Selkie Trophy. The nominees are Sean Couturier, Patrice Bergeron, and Ryan O'Reilly. So off the top, who do you think is going to win? You go, Spencer. Ooh. I don't know, honestly. I think, Vinny, you should start with this one. Um, well, th- th- this award is very, uh, I mean, well, not. I shouldn't say very, but uh, underlying numbers play a big factor in this and i don't know a whole lot of them but i think it'll be couturier because i know he had uh well it has nothing to do with offense but yeah i'm gonna go with couturier yeah i'd agree with that they don't take into consideration underlying numbers they just go with the standards like oh i think he plays good defense put up a good amount of numbers i mean like they put him in in a way yeah i mean in a way where it's like uh the like the defensive the way you judge the defensive game like some people like I think the eye test is very important no matter what in that situation but I think defensive numbers analytically are very uh, they stand out more than offensive I think that's all yeah um so I would go with Sean Couturier here do I think he's going to win? I don't know, but I would choose him just because Ryan O'Reilly, Patrice Bergeron, they've had their, like, Patrice Bergeron has won so many Selkies, and Ryan O'Reilly already won last year, and I think it'd be just nice to see someone else win. Sean Couturier's finally getting that recognition, and 
I've looked at some of the stats. He's very good defensively, and he also puts up a ton of points offensively. He plays against some of the hardest competition in the NHL, and I just think Sean Couturier wins, and I hope they go with him because it's a different winner than last time. But the fact that there's no Philip Denol or even like a Mark Stone in there, it just shows yeah. that the NHL, they always and, go with like the same players. And, and that, then maybe once in a while they add like a different player in there, like a Couturier. And that's where the some of the other stats come into play with Deneau. Because most people know how how good he was this year in a in a bad Montreal situation. Spencer, what do you think? Or yeah. wait, did you? Oh no, Spencer already went. Never mind. Yeah, I agree with Katuri on that though. I, yeah. Yeah. So we're all in agreement there. I really, I hope he wins, but you know they're gonna give it to like Bergeron or O'Reilly. All right, next one. We got one of our guys in here. Calder Trophy, Quinn Hughes, Dominic Kubelik, and Kale McCarr are the nominees. Now, off the top, the fact that Kubelik was even nominated is just a big W in my opinion because we all knew Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr were going to be the two nominees, the two out of the three nominees, but there really could have been a number of other players. Like, honestly, if it were up to me, I would have put Adam Fox in there just because he had such a great season driving offense and even playing defense just in general, and there were... Oh, man, I can't remember off the top of my head who else there was, but the fact that Dominic Kubelik got in there is just a W in and of itself. But to me, it's down to Quinn Hughes and Kale McCarr, and yeah, it's really interesting. Tough. That's a really I have, tough one. I have some thoughts on this. So right. I think – now, this is not this is not uh, Kale McCarr's fault at all, by no means. But with the injury, he missed out on some key production. And I think that's going to be the edge that – Hughes gets in this. I think Hughes will win, um, but it, it it sucks for Makar, obviously, and I think it'll still be really close. But I think Hughes will get it. Yeah, I agree. I feel like with Quinn Hughes, like Hughes just—it's really impressive to see what he's done, not only offensively, but he's also improved his defensive game in the NHL too. I with Makar, I I agree, like. Um, had he gotten those few extra points, had he not gotten injured, I feel like that just, uh, would have helped a lot more. But um, it's interesting because, like Makar, for example, he had a really good supporting cast in Colorado. Um, they're already known to be a really good team. Um, they Nathan Kinnan up front. But they also had some injuries up front this year, which also makes that a little bit interesting. But I think with Hughes, like, uh, especially like now that Vancouver's a playoff team this year and how good they've been this year, um, kind of compared to where they were last year. Um, I feel like he's been such a huge part of that team. It, that just can't go unnoticed, especially uh, that defensive part of his game, which he's uh, taken strides on in the NHL. So, um, but for this one, I'm probably going to give the edge to Quinn Hughes here. So. Yeah, I it's agree. Close, uh, it's so close. Yeah. Kale McCarr definitely had the offensive production, but unfortunately, again, he missed a bit of time. And I know when when people are voting that that goes into consideration. Like if you miss a certain <laughs> amount of games and only play a certain amount of games, that that might hurt your chances. So yeah. I have to go Quinn Hughes. He played tougher competition, still put up very good offensive numbers, and was pretty solid defensively considering he's only a 20 year old. And Kale McCarr. He definitely he was dynamic offensively, but he definitely had more teammates to work with, like more of a team to work with, a better team in front of him, and uh, had uh, 
like less harder minutes, so I would definitely give it to Quinn Hughes. But I mean, honestly, this is you can't be mad if it goes to either one of them because both of them were just so yeah. good and he's such yeah. great offensive defenseman going forward. So, but yeah, I, I don't go to Quinn Hughes. I do think that McCarr will be the better player long term, though. Ooh, I, I, I know that's that might uh, that's a little spicy, but um, no, I think the one thing that really stands out to me is just McCarr is just a little bit better of a skater. They're That's both so think. good. It's going to be yeah. true watching. It's, it's both close. It's very close. All right. The next one, here's a big one. The Hart Trophy. The nominees oh, are man. Leon Dreisaitl, Nathan McKinnon, and Artemi Panarin. Doesn't get any easier, man. <laughs> I just want to say one person who got snubbed, and I've been like advocating for a very uh, like a while now. Connor Hellbuck didn't get a nominee when he absolutely oh. should have. Yeah, that's true. I know you mentioned that. You mentioned that yeah. before on the last podcast. Or one Especially with that, like, basically that whole revamped blue line that the Jets had this year. For revamped for worse, yeah. Yeah. And Hellebuck was just still as good. But I, this is tough. This, year. this is so tough. Because Leon, Leon Dreisaitl basically proved that he could, like, drive his own line this year and stuff like that. But. I know my I don't know. I'm trying to think over my, the answers in my head. So, I think the NHL is going to go Dreisaitl, but who I think it should be I are Tenny Panarin. 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 I, think, I think so, too. Because now, Panarin, he played with such, like, a bad, like, line mates in, the, the, in New York, and he had, like, he was... Good defense. Well, he was solid defensively and just so good offensively in driving play. And he almost willed that Rangers team into a playoff spot. Well, he did, but like if had the NHL yeah. season gone on, like they might have just made the playoffs. Like just like they would have made the playoffs without having to worry about the qualifying round. So I would choose Panarin. Like honestly, like you can't go wrong with either either of them because they're all such good players. They've been such big parts of their team. You even go to Nathan McKinnon. I think. The next closest player on the team was like 40 points away or something like that. And the Avalanche had some injuries too, so you can't go wrong. But honestly, for me, it's Panarin. But I think they will that, go dry. So just because of that story, it's like, oh, he's now good without McDavid. But look at this. He got injured, and now he did good. So, yeah. That's yeah, the thing. Key. Go ahead. You go, Vinny. No, you can go. Um, that's the thing. It's most valuable player to their team. So I think – with that, I, I think it's Panarin because, um, you know, you mentioned it. If if the if the break didn't happen and the season went on normally, Rangers missed the playoffs. Panarin wouldn't be nominated. So, but but that didn't happen, and they're in the playoffs technically, and just historically, you know, that might not be right, but historically, that's how the league has given out this award: is your team. The guy's got to take his team to the playoffs, right? So I think Panarin had the biggest value to his team. But, I mean, if this was who's the best player, I mean, probably I'd probably lean towards McKinnon. But Yeah, Pierce made a good point about McKinnon, too, because um, especially this year, like, they, the Avalanche lost, like, in the middle of the year, they lost both Landeskog and Ranton, both of his line mates, both were all. Both players were also really key on his line. And he still was able to put up the numbers he did, which is still pretty impressive. But 
I'm yeah, yeah, yeah definitely gonna have to go with Panarin here. I agree. Most valuable to their team, not most productive. Just remember that. Yeah. All right. So we're in agreement. We're pretty much we've pretty much agree with everything. Um, next one is the Jack Adams. The finalists are Aline Vigneault, um on Philadelphia, John Tortorella on Columbus, and Bruce Cassidy in Boston. Someone who got snubbed, Mike Sullivan on the Penguins. Who again, we've already brought up the fact that they just get random players from their AHL team and bring them up, and they're productive. The fact that Mike <laughs> Sullivan can just plug in any player on that team from wherever. <laughs> It's it's a tra- it's like a tragedy to get nominated, especially with all those injuries. So, because honestly, he would have been my pick, but uh, honestly, I think I'm going to go John Tortorella here. I yeah. Columbus had no business in making it back to the playoffs or even being competitive after losing the players that they lost, like Panarin and Bobrovsky and Duchesne. I'm pretty sure I already brought this up on the last podcast when we talked about the Columbus series and just how John Tortorella gets that team to buy into a system. So. I definitely got to go John Tortorella here. I'm pretty sure he's already won it twice, once with Tampa Bay and once with Columbus. So I think he's going to win again. I think this is going to be his third uh, uh, Jack Adams. I think so too. I mean, you know, you're right. That That's just that's just it. They had no business being that good. Or like, like just with all the players they lost. And it's a similar situation. They had situation. injuries too, like Wierenski yeah. and Jones. For yeah, the, like, um, but yeah, like, it's just a similar situation in Columbus as in uh, Pittsburgh, where it's just a next man up mentality where you can just put, put these guys in on your blue line, like fill in for Jones and they just work hard and they get the job done. And uh, Tortorella has a very good setup in Columbus. They I've mentioned this before. They play a hard gritty style and they really take it to you and you can just plug and play, like just put a guy in, if, if a guy gets injured, you put him in and he can perform under that system. I agree. I think, uh, especially now that we're mentioning, like, the players they lost last year, just, like, to name them all out, there's Bobrowski, Panarin, Zingle, Duchesne. Like, the list keeps going, and now um, they're literally back in playoff contention this year, which is pretty impressive. And especially, like, some of the young guys have stepped up and played pretty well for them, too. Uh, especially with all the injuries they battled through throughout the year, um, like uh, Alexander Texier, uh, especially the goaltending. I mean, goaltending was really key for them throughout the year. Yeah, they just battled like it was like nonstop injuries throughout the year for them. And I, it's it's just crazy to like to know that they're at this point, like where they are right now. So. And I just love, I just love Tortorella and the with with his interviews and stuff. Like he just tells you how it is. Like Spencer, did you see? Uh, I know I mentioned it on the last podcast, but did you see the clip of him when the reporter asked him, you know, what do you think about uh, the players' voices being picked up by the mics? He's like, I'm gonna be honest with you guys, I really don't give a shit. <laughs> did you see that? I I didn't know. Yeah, but, but yeah, that's funny. The other that's day, funny. the other day, you just said that. It's awesome. That's the thing funny. with John Tortorella is that he always kind of like he bounced from team to team. Like Tampa Bay, he got the cup there, and it just seems like he bounced from team because he team to team because he like caused so many problems. Like New York, like in New York, he went to New York, and then he had that disastrous year in Vancouver, and you thought come to Columbus again, you know, he was gonna 
you have the same thing where you'd kind of be gone in two years, but he's definitely mellowed out and play like oh, from everything you hear, the players love playing for him. And it just seems like he's really like evolved as a coach and become more mature, even at that age. But uh, yeah, I definitely, John Tortorella, once again, we're all in the green. So the next one, uh, the Lady Bing Trophy, the finalists are Austin Matthews, Nathan McKinnon, and Ryan O'Reilly. Um, I know they don't take off-ice incidents into account, but I have to go. (laughs) It's just, I don't know, man. I think it's a bad look for the NHL if they pick Austin Matthews to win the Lady Bing, especially after what happened. I don't know if they're going to take that into consideration, but Ryan O'Reilly, I don't know. I just, Nathan McKinnon, the fact that he's a Hart finalist and he's also nominated for the Lady Bing, that says a lot. So I'm going to go with Nathan McKinnon on that one. I I don't have like the penalty minutes in front of me or whatever. But one thing I'd like to see with the Lady Bing is more defensemen in there because it's so hard to play defense and uh, not take penalties. So I'd like to see more guys like Jacob Slavin on there and like Ryan Suter. I know those guys are play very good defense and don't take many penalties. So I'd just like to see more of that on there because I believe only one defenseman has one in like the past 60 years or something like that. And I'm pretty sure it was Brian Campbell back in 2012. That's the only defenseman that's won. And the fact that like no Nick Lidstrom, he never barely took penalties and played almost perfect defense. The fact he never even like got a Silky nominee is just, or not a Silky nominee, sorry, uh, Lady Bing nominee. It's just crazy to me how we, we don't include defensemen in there. But uh, yeah, that's my rant. But uh, I go Nathan McKinnon there considering. The yeah, nominees. I agree with that. I think so too. All his, right. play on, his play on the ice supports it. So, how about mm-hmm. it? Yeah. All right. Ted Lindsay, this is pretty much the same as the Hart one, but it's voted by the players as the best player in the NHL. And honestly, I think they go Leon Dreisaitl just because uh, players are going to look at Holy, um, this guy – um, he gets he has like 110 points and even though Leon Dreisaitl doesn't have that flashy play like Nathan McKinnon and Artemi Panarin he plays very hard out there so I think NHL teams are going to go for Leon Dreisaitl or NHL players are going to go for Leon Dreisaitl there yeah I think so too uh, this award has the feel of most productive um, and so I think who else other than Dreisaitl right like yeah I'm gonna go with Leon, Leon Dreisaitl for me all right we're all in agreement again um Norse Trophy. So um, this is another one where it's like, what's the like, what's the meaning of the Norris Trophy? Because you have the top three most productive defensemen on there: John Carlson, Victor Hemman, and Roman Yossi. And again, you'd like to see defensemen that are able to play more of a two-way game in there. Do you make a separate award for that? It's just like, do you include Jacob Slavin in there? I don't know, but like, they're just every year it seems like they go with the most offensive uh, production like defensemen. So. Going based off of that, John Carlson, I know he does not play good defense yeah. at all, but the fact he put up that much offensive production, you know, the NHL voters are going to go for that, so I'm going to go John Carlson. Plus, he's never really been in there, so, you know, he's he's done a lot. He's won a Stanley Cup. He's got a World Junior Go medal. I remember that, and uh, I think they're going to give him the Norris Trophy. Yeah, while I, while I certainly agree with you, Pierce, that – you know, this award, it's they judge a little bit too much. Or they value a little bit too much on the offensive side of it as a D-man. And just you've, you've seen that in recent years and just with how the award's given out, um, the D-man with the best offensive production is going to have a high chance of winning. So I think uh, John Carlson too. 
I agree. But I just wish, like, with a guy like Roman Yossi, who's been underrated, like, for so long, like, for his entire career, pretty much, I just wish, like, I could see a guy like that just win, uh, like, the Norris and just get that recognition that he's deserved for such a long time. But, yeah, it's it's going to be Carlson, but... Yeah, yeah. I, I like Josie too because he again Carlson. They have all those players on Washington, but Nashville they don't have those offensive uh, firepower like Washington does. And he drove like mm-hmm. he drove a big part of that offense, and he had almost point per game. So Josie, but honestly, I think they're gonna go John Carlson. Mm-hmm. I agree, especially yeah, with Hedman too. How he's like been in um, been in Norris contention already. Like you just kind of want to see someone different win it. Sometimes seems like he's always uh, there. Yeah, most of the time, yeah. <laughs> Last one here, Vesna Trophy. I think this should be a really easy one, but the finalists are Tuka Rask, Connor Hellebuck, and Andre Vasilevsky. And Vasilevsky, man, like, I think he's a great goalie, but I just think he's a little overrated because he plays on a very good team in Tampa Bay. But uh, Tuka Rask, he had a great season in Boston. And again, Boston has a very good defensive team, but, like, he had good numbers, but... Without a doubt, Connor Hellebuck should win. Not only should he win the Vesna, he should have been nominated for the Hart. So, yeah, I'm going Hellebuck. That's, like, probably the easiest yeah, one. Easiest one, yeah. Yeah, that's really easy. I mean, Hellebuck, you just – we all know how good he was in net this year for, for Winnipeg. And you look at their defense, and, I mean, my God, dude. Like, you <laughs> they had a point, a point in there when the Hawks moved uh, Carl Dahlstrom, you – he slid in on their second. He I slid on the, slid in on their second pair, and I mean, it's just like you got to give props to the guy. Um, I think what I honestly with this award, I'd love to see Anaheim a bit better with with John Gibson because I think he'd be he'd win the Vesna if his team was a bit better. Even Crawford, man, he's he's yeah. never got a, a, a Vesna nominee. Like, if you could just stay healthy, and that's another big thing, you have to play a lot of games for the Vesna. Like, if you miss a lot of time, like someone like Crawford usually does, he won't get in there. But it'd just be nice if like Crawford could just have a season where he stays healthy and he totally deserves it. Get there at least get like a finalist in there because totally, totally yeah. deserves it. But uh, I mean, like yeah. the guy has just been nothing but consistent his whole career. But so Hellebuck, he definitely deserve it. Yeah, yeah, yeah it, will, it will be helpful. I'm like confident that he'll win because he was just that good. But again, robbed of a heart finalist. Honestly, like he was that good. And I think it could it could be a similar situation with the uh, Norris and the fact that just being on a really good team benefits you. Like, yeah, <laughs> like Vasilevsky. <laughs> yeah, like like Carlson on that Washington power play just. Uh, raking up assists and secondary assists. I know defensemen do that just in general, but yeah, that's how I feel about that. All right. So that's all the awards. Um, there's the Bill Masterton one, but the thing is with the Bill Masterton, it's like, let's compare these guys who have went through personal trauma. Like Oscar Lindblom had cancer and St- Stephen Johns, I know, had some depression and Robbie Ryan, just everything that he went through. And just I, I just... They're they're all winners, man. They're all winners. Like you can't yeah. just pit them against each other. So you know yeah. what? They're all winners to me. So let's get into questions now. Um the first question is will Dylan Secura get twenty goals and forty assists for sixty points? <laughs> <laughs> How do we answer that? <laughs> There's no answer. 
we just leave it at that. Sure, yeah, yeah. One day. Sure. One day. Yeah. One day. When he gets traded to Pittsburgh and plays with Yeah, uh, yeah, there you Charles. go. Okay, there's your answer. <laughs> That's from Charles. Um, so Tate has, like, 15 questions oh, in, uh, in, like, the, three the best different ones. tweets. Um, so we're just going to go through all of them because that'll fill in a lot of time. Um, first one. <laughs> Uh, expected point production for Ian Mitchell and Pius Suter at the next level at the NHL. Ooh. Ian Mitchell's kind of tough because I don't really know what to expect out of him next year. Like, first off, I don't really... I I feel like he could be a guy that, like, sneaks into their top four next year on the blue line, but it's going to be interesting with, like, how many guys they have in the blue line already, like... I'm just kind of curious to see where like Mitchell will even like slot in first off, but I yeah I don't I don't really know honestly. Um, well I think uh, I have I have quite high hopes for Ian Mitchell. Um, I think I think when it like he said this already, uh, he talked to the media recently. He said I'll be ready whenever the next season is, but uh, I think he could have been in the NHL this year without a doubt but he decided to stay in Denver, work on his game, be the captain, if I recall. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Yeah, he was the captain. So work on his game in Denver and be more than ready. Like, like the way I see it, he's going to come into the NHL and be put in a position to succeed and thrive, not just, not just survive, but thrive. Um, And so I think realistically, he'll probably be on the third pairing. Um, We don't know what's going to happen with Brent Seabrook. Uh, but I would love to see Mitchell put up 30, 40 points, realistically. That'd be nice. Yeah, I think Ian Mitchell will probably get, like, 20, 25 points. I don't expect him to, like, do much offensively, nor do I really either. I just hope that he's someone who can break the puck out and play responsible defense. And, yeah, um, as for Pius Suter, I think uh, you could expect like a Dominic Cahoon type season out of him. I don't think he's going to put up Dominic Kubalik numbers just because what Dominic Kubalik did was really special and unique, even if he was 24 years old. But like he scored 30 goals. It's hard to do that as like an NHL player in general. So uh, I think we can expect like 15 goals, 25 assists for Pius Suter. I think that'd be a great season for him. Um Spencer, did you talk about a Pius Sutter, or did any of you guys, for that matter? Um, I think, uh, like you said, 15 and 25 sounds about right for me. I mean, you look at the guy's scouting report, it just seems like he's such a balanced player. Like, he goes to the net, uh, he moves the puck well, he's a good playmaker, good vision, and... Not over overly physical, but he plays that modern style of what it means to be to play hard. So I think, yeah, if he can get 40 points and score 15 goals on the third line, or maybe he goes up on the first line with Taves, um, I don't know, but we'll see. It's exciting see for that. sure, though, because that's what the Hawks need, in my opinion. It's what we've been missing. Yeah, I agree with Pierce. I don't like. I I don't think we should really expect anybody like to have, like, a Dominic Kubelik type season. Yeah. Like, that's just really high expectations, I feel like, for a new guy coming in. But I feel like Dominic Cahoon, that's, like, what, what Pierce mentioned. I feel like that's a more realistic comparison because I feel like Cahoon was a really valuable guy in their top nine. 
with how he played with how he played defensively and offensively. But he's you you move up and down the lineup and you still play really well. I feel like Pia Suter. I think that's how you say it. Um, I've been saying uh, Pius. I, I, I think it is Pius. 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 Pretty sure. I said okay. Pius last podcast, but I, I think I'm I did too. Pius I did. I did. Too. It just sounds weird. <laughs> yeah. But uh, I yeah I feel like um, he'll definitely bring kind of like what uh, Cahoon did a few years ago. So I will the say this. I, oh, go ahead. Uh, okay. So the thing I said was uh, that uh, Pius Suter actually played in the OHL for a few seasons before he left for Switzerland. So he's familiar with that North American ice. So it won't take. It won't be hard for him to kind of like transition over, which is good. Uh, no, I was just gonna say. Hold on, what was I going to say? Um, hold on. I can't remember what I, I was going to say. I shouldn't have cut you off. You should have just spoken. Uh, no, it was about Suter. No, I, oh, no, I was just going to say, I don't think any of us expected Dominic Kubalik to score 30 goals. So if you, keep, if you keep that in mind, there is, you know, maybe get your hopes up a little bit. There's right. a chance. So we kind of brought that up earlier, the Brent Seabrook comments. So... What do you guys think is going to be? Because I think we've brought this up before, but like, just he's not traveling. He's not traveling with the team to Edmonton, and just what do you hang on? I'm going to bring up the quote here. Do 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 filler filler. So and that was that was uh it it, it touched the heartstrings. That's yeah, for sure. You just feel he's kind of frustrated, and but I'd expect nothing less from Seabrook. I mean, throughout his whole career with Chicago, he's okay. always been. He's always been a team first guy and it doesn't surprise me at all that if he doesn't feel like he's going to come in or going to be able to go to Edmonton and uh, play or I shouldn't say play a big role, but make an impact the way he wants to, he's not going to go. And he didn't. So good so for him. From our good pal, Charlie Romeliotis, um, Brent Seabrook. I don't know what my place is with the, with the Blackhawks. That's a question for Stan and Jeremy. As for the NHL, I do know I can be an impact player on a hockey club. That just sounds like a player that's kind of like uh, fed up with the coach and uh, the GM and he even name call him out. And I've been saying this, but I think the perfect place for Brent Seabrook would be in Florida with uh, Joel Quenville because I know Joel Quenville would love to play with him. But Brent Seabrook, there's just so many, like, problems with like everything like the contract the no movement clause and if they keep them is like there's gonna be you know there's gonna be bad blood like how are they gonna imagine they're gonna be able to fix that or they trade them like it's just i don't know what they i don't know what they do with that situation it's definitely gonna be interesting to see what they do do they buy them out i like they i don't even know if they can do that so it's just what do they what do they do there's just so many like I don't know. Well, well, I'll tell you what, you got to find a team that wants to take that contract first and foremost. Um, but I mean, look, it's tough. It, it sucks how it sucks how he's had to go through all these injuries and surgeries. And God bless the guy. I mean, he's persevered through all of it. But um, you just if he's not good enough to be in the top six, well, what can you say? I mean. Yeah, you got a right side of Ian Mitchell, Adam Boakfist, and, and there Connor you go. Murphy, hopefully. But like, you gotta, does, you, it's just like where does Brent Seabrook fit? You got to get Mitchell in there too next year. So, I really, I just don't know. Yeah, it's a, it's a toughie. Tough to say, but 
even with like Seabrook returning, I wasn't really like expecting him to return at all. Like I think originally, um, with all the surgeries yet, I think he had, like two or three. Um, Both on his lips too. Yeah, it's I I don't I think originally he wasn't supposed to return until like September, which would have been around training camp before all this happened. But um, yeah, I don't I don't really know like what his role is on the Hawks anymore. I don't. I, I think we all can agree on that. We don't really, we don't really know. He obviously wants to play still, but I just, I, I don't know. I mean, you got that right side filled up already with a bunch of young guns, is and Connor Murphy too. I, yeah, it's it's tough to say where he'd actually like slot in. And another thing, another thing that you got to remember is that now with the salary cap staying flat, I mean. If if twenty percent or if, I shouldn't say that if if maybe like fifteen percent of teams were willing to take that contract, well now with the salary cap that's going to stay flat, that number from fifteen probably goes to like five. Just saying theoretically, so it's it's a very it's going to be a complicated situation. I think I think he'll get a look in in training camp, the next training camp, but I mean I I guess we'll see. Uh, yeah, for if the Blackhawks now, you're just focusing on that playoff, play-in series, qualifying around, and to go from there. But like in the off season, that's going to be a short. It'll be a huge question. Yeah, like they and they have like little time to do it with all the salary cap and all that. And you look at a team, say like Detroit, and you know they're gonna if like I don't I don't think they'd ever trade Seymour to Detroit, but. Uh, just I'm just thinking about teams with low salary cap. You know Detroit's gonna be like, yeah, I want that tenth uh, overall pick if they lose in the first round to the Oilers for yeah. Seabrook, and I'll give you blah 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 back like a late first round pick or whatever. I don't know whatever they have. I don't know. Like the Blackhawks might be forced to do a tough decision there, like potentially getting rid of that high end draft pick just to get rid of Seabrook's contract, especially at the salary yeah. cap. It's a tough time, but uh, honestly, I just hope. Because you just love Brent Seabrook so much for all these, what all he's done with the Blackhawks franchise, all the big goals he scored, and the things he does off the ice too. Like he has a family, um, he's been giving a home to Kirby Doc. It just shows you the person he is. So I just hope he finds a place where he's wanted. Because I just feel that the Blackhawks, like again, he doesn't really have a place. So I just honestly, like best case scenario, I just hope he finds somewhere where he can play. Really? I think he he said in, he said in his house uh, he talked to the media today it was like a like almost twenty minutes the interview was apparently uh, he said he has like three kids in his house and like four dogs or something it's like yeah it's a, so busy, very, it's a busy house yeah yeah so definitely interesting um, what they're gonna do there but uh, yeah. Uh, who is your breakout candidate for uh, the 2020-2021 season for the Blackhawks? I have a, a underrated one. Um, I think I brought the name up, but uh, I think someone like Brandon Hagel could step into the Blackhawks lineup, Blackhawks lineup next year and put like 10 or 15 goals in. I know it's not a lot, but like the fact that they signed him as a free agent and he kind of worked his way into the system. Um, he got a game in at the end before the pause. I think Brandon Hagel can be someone that's underrated and can score like ten or fifteen goals on your third line and drive play and take a ton of, generate a ton of shots. 
I think, yeah, I think I'm just going to go with Dean Mitchell here. I mean, like I said, he's, I think he's going to be in a position to thrive next year and not just hold his own. So um, even if it's on the third pair, I think he'll be really good for the Hawks. Uh, I just feel like at this point, defensively, you know at least you're going to get a, a, a solid defensive performance from Mitchell. And I, we'll see what happens with his offense. I'm going to go with an interesting one here. I'm going to go with someone who we were kind of talking about earlier. I'm going to go with Alex Nylander, actually. Oh, I feel that's like a good one. That's a really good one. If he could find his consistency now with the way he's been playing in camp, and since it's like a shorter offseason, um, there's, uh, there's, the season's like basically going to start up. Next season's basically going to start up right away after this one's done. I feel like if he can find his consistency now, find his confidence, I feel like that will translate really well into next season and it will give him, uh, it'll allow him to shine in a bigger offensive role. So, Yeah, I definitely thought about that. I just kind of wanted to go for a bit of the dark horse because this next question just says, will any of Nylander, Doc, and Bofus make a big step, step next season? These are all from tight, by the way. I think... <laughs> No, I think exactly what you said there, Spencer. If he, like right now, you know, we, we've seen it in training camp. He looks really good. If those three guys step up in the playoffs, their confidence is going to be through the roof, and you're going to see them just as a different beast next year for sure. Yeah, um, you want to see Nylander be that productive top six player, especially I think if he stays alongside of Kane and Strom and just – Knows what his role is, stays on that line, has confidence, has chemistry with those two players. I think that Alexander Nylander could be someone that you see pot like 20 goals and 30 assists for like 50 points. And Kirby Doc, as for Kirby Doc, you just see like he obviously didn't have the point production this year, but he wasn't uh, a liability defensively. So he's got that part of the game. Um, well, not like to a T, but like he's solid in that aspect. So, you know, he can go out there. He's all defensively. It's just a matter of having that confidence um, to, to keep doing it. And though that's, that was a big thing of Kirby Doc is, is, is in his draft year was not like anything. It was just he was inconsistent a lot. And you just want to see him be a dominant force more often. And if he can do that, use his speed, use his size and his puck protection, I think he could be close to a point-per-game player. Not next year, but like in the next few years or so. In the as for Adam, yeah, as for Adam Boakfist, like, he was a very high vent player, um, generated a lot of offense, but also gave up a lot going the other way. So you just want to see him shore up his game a bit. I don't think he's ever going to be a defensive star war, but if stalwart, but if he can just be like competent in his own zone, with just generating a ton of offense, or at least like keeping it positive on the ice, then at least for next year, then I think that's very reasonable to expect of Oakfist. Um. First off, I'm, like, really excited to see what, like, Doc can do next year. Because yeah. especially how we, we've talked about, like, a lot of guys and how they performed in camp. But I feel like, um, like, as a young guy in the NHL, he wasn't really supposed to make the NHL to start with. Um, I totally thought he was going to go back to Saskatoon, honestly. Yeah. But when you, when you come into the NHL as, like, a young guy like that, you're just you're not trying to do too much. You're just trying to do all the simple, simple things while you're trying to impress your coach. You're trying to um perform well defensively and i think with doc now that he's more confident now they he's uh he has more trust in his ability on the ice um how he's performed in camp 
he has more confidence in his own game and stuff like that. But um, I feel like Doc, he could potentially be uh, like a really solid middle six option next year. Maybe a guy who could, I don't know, maybe get at least 40 points. I don't know if that's asking for a little bit too much, but 30 to 40 at least, I'd say. I mean, he's been he's been performing quite well. And um, like I mentioned before, even with like the, the shorter off season, I think it's only like, what, like a month this year? <laughs> So yeah, only like a month, like a month so and a like, half, I think. So this season right now and next season are basically like pretty much merged together. So, and especially last year, like he's, um, he, he really hasn't had too much of a summer off either, Doc. Like last year, he has he goes through the draft process, he has, uh, uh, he does all that, and he, he has a bunch saying. of like tournaments and camps and yeah, and that type of stuff. So I feel like. Um, he's he's kind of gotten used to that, and now that we're we're in this situation, I feel like he could be really effective come the playoffs and come next season. So, yeah, I, I said that I said that last podcast. Um, this was this the COVID break was his first real off season, if that's what you want to call it, to bulk up and get faster and stronger. And so, really, it's no surprise that he looks that he looks bigger, faster, stronger at camp. And I'm I'm not even I'm not just looking at uh, next season. I'm looking at the playoffs here. I mean, it's a huge opportunity for him, uh, and and obviously uh, uh, Boakvist as well. And I'm just I'm really looking forward to it. All right. Um. Next question: Does Malcolm Subban have a long-term future here, like three years or more? Uh, short short answer no. Long answer no. <laughs> I, don't, I don't think they're gonna. Be, I don't think uh, Malcolm Subban really has much of a future here. Unfortunately, like just shown by the fact that the Blackhawks didn't play him at all down the stretch. They, they gave Crawford yeah. all those games, and they have Delia to that uh, contract worth like a million dollars. So I personally think they're gonna go Delia next year as the backup and go like Tompkins and Lankin and as their uh, one-two punch in Rockford. So it just yeah. kind of wonder where Malcolm Subban fits in all of this. So I, I just, I, I don't think he has a future here. Yeah. yeah we like, really don't even know what he's like, what he's like either. I mean, I think the only game he played in, it was like, it was like half a game or less. In that yeah, game, Crawford, game, I think. Yeah. yeah. So we don't, we, we don't really know what like he is, like what type of player he is yet in Chicago. That's the thing. It's kind of tough to say. Um, yeah, I, I just don't feel like he'll, he actually has a future here, it's, but. And now that, now that everyone's thinking that Crawford's going to be good to go for the Edmonton series, well, we'll see obviously, but, uh, I just think the Hawks are going to ride it out with, with Crawford from here on out, uh, as they should. And so I just, I don't really, I mean, if, I think if there is a chance that, Subban gets to prove himself. It would be the it would be these playoffs if Crawford isn't ready to go right away or something happens. I'm not really sure what's going on with Crawford. Uh, obviously, now that they announced that he's going to Edmonton, I think I've, all of us can just breathe a sigh of relief. Um, but yeah, I don't know. I don't really know where else Subban's going to get his opportunity. And I think Deliel probably will be the future backup after this season. Um, last question here. It just like puts so many questions, but I just wanted to put these ones out. And 
Um, what prospect in the Blackhawks system have you kind of lost faith in? Mm. Um. Oh, I got one. Uh, what's his What's his name? The Swede. He's Swedish. He's really mm. and he's like six foot five. Uh, Eitzel? Eitzel? Eitzel. Yeah. yeah, dude. I remember like when when everyone was talking about him, we we're like, this guy's a beast. He's six foot five, and he's just uh, he's got a good shot. And I was like, oh, this guy might not actually be bad. But I mean, I just I don't know. I just haven't heard from him <laughs> like ever since then. I'm gonna be honest. So I'd probably probably Aidsel comes to mind. Yeah, mine for me. Even though it's kind of early with him. Like, I have to go with Alex Vlasic from last year's draft, the second-round pick, who's is kind of a little bit too high for, uh, what like, the type of player he actually was. Um, but I, I feel like he could be uh, down the line, like, more so, like, a solid maybe number five, number six, like, solid, more, more of a depth guy. But he doesn't really have uh, that much offensive upside in his game. Uh, he never really had that offensive upside with his time at the NTDP. Good skater, good defensively, all that good stuff. But, I mean, the lack of offensive ability, I think, is something that's just going to impact his chances um, of him, like, even making the NHL. So, but Pierce, I know you mentioned this, and this completely changed my thought process on it. You mentioned that the Hawks could have gotten Robertson. <laughs> which is just like I didn't know that and I'm glad you told me that because my god that would have been nice. and there are a lot of other options for them. pretty, pretty yeah. self-explanatory yeah um so the player I'm gonna go with is uh Nicholas Bowden um honestly I've never been a very like Fan, big fan of Bowden from the start. Like I look back at that draft, and again, it's hindsight. But just looking at the fact that they could have had Rasmus Sandin, who I was like really high on that draft year, and he's already looks better. And someone like Joe Falano, and there's like a lot of other guys like Jonathan Berger, and I was high on as well that I would have preferred that they got. And it's nothing against Bowden. I just, I just, there's nothing to his game where it's like it pops out to me. Like he's a solid skater. He gets the puck up. I just don't see him being more anything more as like a number five, maybe a number four. But obviously um, if he, if he like develops into anything more than that, like that's awesome. And I'm rooting for him. It's just personally, I don't see it, but um I don't know if it's necessarily that I've lost faith in him. It's just more so I've never been terribly high on him. But uh, yeah, yeah. Well, it's I think, kind of I funny think with Bodin, like uh, back in 2018. How I remember the Blackhawks when they're announcing the pick, and they oh said Drummondville. God. I was yeah. like, I was like, I it's Valena. Yeah. <laughs> and then it turns out oh, it was man. Bodin, but yeah, it's was, kind of funny. Yeah. I think we'd all be I think we'd all be content if Bodan could just be uh, like a low end number four at this Definitely. point. Yeah. Obviously, uh, you know, I, I I always like before this. I mean, before everyone started talking about him again, uh, I always thought he'd be a, for sure a second pairing guy. But I mean, things change, and um, I think I, I'd really like to see him get more of a shot in uh, up on the Hawks roster. Before we really, uh, before we really start to get on him, um, but yeah, 
But the thing is with Bowden, that that one game he played against the San Jose that he got up into, he looked solid. So if he can yeah. just do that, he can, I think he could be like a solid, decent and, like number four, number five defenseman. And that's a guy that has also stood out in throughout training camp. Like I've noticed, he's moving the puck really well. He's mobile. Um, so I've I've been impressed with him so far in camp. We'll see what happens in the playoffs. All right. Um, I think that's pretty much everything. Do you guys have anything to add or anything, whatever, blah, blah, blah? Any parting shots? Hmm. I don't know. Was that all his questions? Yeah, that, no, that wasn't all the questions. That was the wow. main ones I wanted to point out. Like, there's like, like 15 other questions. I was going to say, we flew through those. I know, I know, I know. He mentioned something about uh, uh, Shalupa, and I. Oh yeah, for, you want to do I completely that? no, I, I, wasn't going to comment on that because I completely forgot uh, about the guy. Yeah. So I forgot. It's going to be Taco guy. Bell memes everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I, but yes, like, I, is he going to make the NHL? And like, I'm pretty sure he doesn't make it at all. Like, he's only 21, I think, so he's probably going to start in the NHL. It's definitely more of a project. So, yeah. Yeah, I think there's going to be. Uh, obviously, I don't think it'll be him, but there's going to be. Uh, guys competing for bottom six roster spots for sure uh, going into next season. So we'll see how that plays out. Oh, man, there was this tweet I saw that shows the Blackhawks' potential like, defensive core um, in the AHL next year. I'm trying to find it. But uh, it was from Ben Pope, and I'm pretty sure. Like I don't know if I can find the tree right away, but uh, I think it was like uh, – oh, there, I got it. So first pairing could potentially be in the AHL. Uh, Bodine and Bokefist, then Carlson and Mitchell, and then Kalinuk and Regula. I still don't know how to say his name. Is it Kalinuk? Kalinuk. That's what I always say. Kalinuk? Okay, but yeah. Um, some decent defensemen in there. You just, like, I've I've heard that uh, Wayne Kalinuk, he could potentially be um, close to the NHL, and from everything I've heard, he's kind of like a Nick Lay defenseman, so... Again, if you can get a defenseman in, like, your bottom pairing that can move the puck up the ice as opposed to players that we've had in the past, like Dennis Gilbert and Nick Sealer in your bottom pairing, like, that's a positive step forward. And even if Bowden is that, like, that's that's still good value, like, to have in your bottom pairing of a defenseman that'll make right, the right moves and all that stuff. So, um, yeah. I um, think... Yeah, you no, I, I think uh, I think the Hawks are certainly welcoming the idea of having more left-handed defensive prospects. That's for sure. So if they can get some out of Kalinuk, then that'd be awesome. I mean, I don't want to like we we're kind of talking about this. It's like we yeah we got Bokefist, yeah we got uh, Ian Mitchell, and uh, even like Alec Regula could potentially come up, and we still have Connor Murphy and. You're just wondering how we're going to get that. Like, They're all left, righties. How we're, yeah, how we're going to balance things out. And I remember we just, like, you never want to look ahead to next year, but because uh, you hope the Blackhawks are going to be a playoff team, but you look at the defenseman next year. Spencer, I know you're very familiar with this guy, but Owen Power, six foot five, left-hand defenseman, plays for the Chicago Steel. Do you have any, like, kind of scouting report on him or, like, if, if you watched him enough? Um, I don't have, like, a scouting report with me right now, but he's, like, for a good comparison, he compares himself to Victor Hedman, which is, like, I think it's a perfect comparison. Like, two tall, all-around guys, uh, good skaters, of course, but Owen's, like, offensive instincts for his age are just tremendous. Um, I I think that he has the potential. I 
it's tough to say because there's so many good defensemen in that class right now. It's yeah, just like the list keeps going on and on. I've heard that. But I feel like he he definitely could uh, potentially be uh, even the top players selected in the draft. Like that's there's certainly potential for that because obviously teams they they love their big like their tall defensemen and all yeah. that. But um, but. I've watched him for two years now, and it's been really impressive to see how he's developed. Like, um, I remember like watching like his first few first few games. And I was like, "Wow, this kid certainly has some potential." And then, like from that point on, he just kept getting better and better and better. And he just he just really grew his all around game in the USHL. And I'm excited to see um, how Michigan's going to be playing next year. Michigan, speaking of Michigan, I mean they're going to be the recruits they're getting, they're just, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just like nonstop. And they potentially could be adding a guy like Adam Fantilli in the mix for that too. Um, but next year they got some good players coming in. They got Ken Johnson, uh, BCHL's MVP. He's good. They got Owen Power. Um, they, they got Brendan Brisson. Uh, they, and there's, there's a few other names who I can't really think of off the top of my head, but going back to Owen Power, I'm just, I'm really excited to see, um, like such a high pick like I especially me like watching him over the past few years like it's not too often you get a guy from the USHL supposed to go that high just from the USHL itself not just like the NTDP because obviously the yeah. NTDP's produced some like the top talent over the years but uh with the USHL it's really nice just to see the league like growing itself even with the guys coming in next year they got some pretty good players coming in so uh yeah it's pretty exciting and uh I, I'd hope to see him get picked number one. I don't know if that's. I, I feel like it's certainly possible, but I possible, but I don't know. But yeah, it's it's. Who wait? Who is cool. who is supposed to go number one next year? The Why thing is I... with next year's draft is it's, it's kind of like a 2017 draft. It's not like yeah. he, it's like Ross Mustali and yeah, he's going first. It's not like the true number one. Yeah, yeah. like I've well, seen who is Atu, it though? Atu has been kind of like a like a oh, favorite. Like he's not okay. like a consensus favorite, like a huge favorite. He, he has and, a brother too, right? Um, Roddy. Uh, Alku. I think it's. I think that's Isaiah. Yeah, I mean, I think an Arizona he's, prospect. He's on, yeah, I was gonna say is he not in Arizona? I think so. Yeah. Drafted last year, I think. Yeah, but uh, Atu Ratti, the thing about Atu Ratti, if he went first overall, he'd be the first Finnish-born player to ever go first overall, so that'd be cool. Yeah, but, yeah I saw I, that. The kind of cool thing about, uh, even though you, you don't have that generational player, the, the kind of cool thing with draft like that is there's actually debate at the top who might go yeah. first overall. Like, of course, we've been kind of spoiled with all these top-end players, like, like uh, Connor McDavid and Austin Matthews and all that, but like we all know they're gonna go first overall this year. There's very much like intrigue. Like there could be like it could be like the 2017 draft. Like someone going fifth overall, like Elias Patterson, turns out as the best player from that draft and all that. So definitely, <laughs> even though the draft this year hasn't happened, like 2021, even though it does not have that like that friend generational or even franchise player, like it's gonna be. Interesting to kind of see who goes first and see if anyone pulls ahead. So, uh, yeah. Um, 
Uh, the thing I like about Spencer is that whenever you bring up a prospect, especially if it's like a USHL one, he can he talk about it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's what I like about Spencer. But uh, and same with you, Vinny. Like if you bring up like BCHL stuff and WHL yeah. stuff, yeah, you know, you have a pretty good like uh, knowledge about it. So uh, yeah, thank you boys for uh, joining. It was fun to have you on. Um, hockey, it's getting closer and closer each We're almost day. Almost there. I know we're almost there. Like we will be able to see exhibition hockey next week. It's so exciting. And then we'll get to see Blackhawks play actual meaningful games for the first time in like a few years. uh, Yeah. I'm very excited. Even if they get their ass whooped, I'm just excited for them to to see all the, to see guys like Jonathan Taze and Patrick Day play in competitive games when you thought there might never been a chance for them to play in competitive games again. And then you get to see the young guys like, Kirby Doc, Alexander Nylander at a book fist play. So, honestly, for the Blackhawks, even if they lose to the Edmonton Oilers, you know the, the future's looking good. It's looking all right. If they lose, they're probably gonna they'll get a potential shot of left right there. And if they win, well, then they get to say they won a playoff series and actually get to go to the playoffs. So, and honestly, get experience. Yeah, get experience for their young guys. For the so young core on the roster. If you're Chicago, it's kind of like house money right now. So win win, yeah. Yeah, things are looking up. So, uh, yeah, thanks for everyone tuning in. Um, uh, So for Pierce, Vinny, and uh, Spencer, take it easy, everyone. We'll see you next time. Peace.